Well, good morning. There is an error on my sound that just popped up on me. So I don't know if my sound is working. It appears not to be. Well, it might be, but I want to try to switch back to the microphone that I really want to be on, which I think it's working now. So I'm just going to go with it. <laughs> so an error popped up right as I hit to go live on here. Uh, but it appears that my audio is working now. So I'm going to go ahead and move forward. Uh, welcome to uh, another Bible teaching from the Ministry of A Love Outreach. Uh, I've got a lot of scriptural ground to cover, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to jump right on in. The last time that we looked at Matthew chapter 27, we studied um, verses 1 through 10, but just to stay within our context today, I'm going to go back and start reading at verse one, but going to be expounding on verses 11 through 66 today. So again, going to cover a lot of ground here. So verse one of Matthew chapter 27 says, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people plotted against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest looked, or chief, but the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. And they consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, whom they of all they of the children of Israel priced, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. Now Jesus stood before the governor. And the governor asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? So Jesus said to him, It is as you say. So Jesus here is now standing before Pilate, who was the governor at that time. Um, the anti-Jesus Jews of that day had brought three charges against Jesus that, of course, were all lies. But they knew that if they made up a certain charges, if they, if they brought certain charges before the governor, before Pilate, that he wouldn't be able to ignore these charges. They were political charges, and they were all lies, of course. The first thing that they had accused Jesus of was being a revolutionary that posed a threat to the Roman Empire. The second charge was that they said that Jesus had urged the people not to pay taxes. And the third charge was that he claimed to be a king. So again, they thought by bringing up these political things before Pilate, you know, even though, even though they were all lies, 
that Pilate might jump on board with all of this, right? So in all of their conniving, they were trying the best that they could to just do away with Jesus, an innocent man. And they thought that these three false charges, like I said, would best appeal to the governor, Pilate. So here in verse 11, Pilate, the governor, decided to bring up the third charge and ask Jesus if he was a king. And of course, Jesus is the king of kings, so he answered truthfully. However, Jesus had no intentions on being an earthly king, at least not at this point in time, right? When when there is a new heavens and a new earth in the future, Jesus will reign over everything at that time as the king of kings and the Lord of lords of all eternity, okay? But beginning in verse 12 here, we see that it says, and while he was being accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Now, this is when the chief priest and the elders were talking to him, okay? He answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he answered him not one word so that the governor marveled greatly. So this particular crowd of um, Jews that were against Jesus, and I point that out because not all the Jews were against Jesus, of course. Some of them came to faith in Jesus. But this particular group present at this time of his trial are throwing all kinds of accusations his way. And Pilate just can't believe that Jesus is sitting there silent through all of this. It is as if Pilate is saying, come on, why don't you defend yourself? Do you hear what they're saying? about you. But Jesus remains silent in the face of all their lies. You see, it's interesting to know that the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time to speak and a time to keep silent. And you know, speaking is easy in our present day and age. I mean, making your voice heard, I should say, right? If you think about it with social media today, there's really never any silence. There's constantly something. We're using words, pictures, videos to just keep chatting away, to keep talking. Mostly every store and restaurant you go in today has um, background music playing. People go out to eat and they chat about their restaurant experience. They take pictures of their food that they eat and they publish how good it was or how bad it was. No one really places any value on silence today. But Jesus here, before his accusers, kept completely silent. And this is the art of wisdom. Remember, in in our last study of Matthew, I pointed out how at least at this part in the story, it seems that evil has won. Right? The, the ones that are speaking the loudest here and creating the most disturbance seem to be getting the victory. And even Jesus himself, the truly innocent one, didn't defend himself. He just seems to stand there and take it. They are standing in front of him, clearly wicked, full of evil, and he does not speak. So the loud speaking, riotous of heart people appeared to have defeated the silent Jesus. But of course we know 
that that is not the truth. You see, today, through the news media and social media, they seem to be doing a good job of silencing the truth because they're speaking loud, right? Lies seem to be victorious today, as was the case with Jesus. The louder you speak, the more you pump out there, the more you put it out there, it seems to be the truth. And people grab onto it. They grab onto what they're hearing. Every little thing, every little thing that gets posted on Facebook, every little thing that gets posted on social media, everywhere, right? Platforms like this, like I'm on, right? People grab onto it, never investigating. Is this truth? That's why with what I do, I'll remind you again, is it truth? Is what I'm telling you the truth? You need to read the Bible for yourself to find out, right? And and let the Lord speak to you in that still small voice in your own heart. But are you paying attention to the Lord? And I'll talk about that a little bit more as we go on. But again, there's, there's a lot of noise going on in our world today. And, and not everything is truth, and the majority of it is lies. That's what's getting spread throughout this world today, through social media and stuff like that, and the news outlets and all of that. But as it relates to the story of Jesus here, there is so much good that comes from his silence. I want you to go ahead and mark this page in your Bible and turn up a couple books to the Gospel of Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. So Luke chapter 24, and I'm going to start reading down in verse 6. Here we have a group of women that had went to the tomb and angels spoke to them. This, of course, you know, this is fast forwarding in time from what we're looking at in Matthew today. But um, in verse 6, it says, uh, the angels spoke to them here in verse 6 and says, he is not here, but is risen. Remember, how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. So as Jesus stood silent back in Matthew before his accusers, it could really make someone wonder, like Pilate wondered, why aren't you saying anything? Why aren't you defending yourself? You're in a troubled time right now. Why aren't you speaking? But his silence was golden. His silence had a purpose. What was about to happen was not supposed to be stopped. Back there in Matthew 27, what was about to happen? His crucifixion, it was not supposed to be stopped. And Jesus says here in verse 7, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. So it's all part of the grand plan. So this is the one, one reason why Jesus remained silent. One of the reasons, right? Another reason for the silence of Jesus was that suffering was his lot in life. Stay right here in the Gospel of Luke, but flip back to chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. 
And I want to read down in verse, starting in verse 20. So Luke 9, 20. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. So not only was he delivered into the hands of sinful men, but it was also a part of the grand plan that he suffer. And of course, ultimately die and rise again from the dead. But this was another reason that silence was golden, the silence of Jesus, and he kept silent. Another reason I'm just going to read to you for the sake of time because we're covering a lot of ground today. Isaiah 53, 7 says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So in other words, it was prophesied of Jesus that he would remain silent. Let me read that verse to you again and let it sink in. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to a slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And ultimately we know that the silence of Jesus before his crucifixion led to our forgiveness, justification, our redemption. For the born-again Christian, the cross spoke the loudest of all. The cross is the power of God in our lives. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So again, sometimes silence is golden. And so often silence speaks much louder than all the clamor of all the words. Because Jesus was completely silent in order to fulfill God's word. The silence of Jesus ultimately led to a time where we now live in, where whosoever will can come and be saved. Whosoever will. Now flip back to Matthew chapter 27. The story continues down in verse 15 and says, Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? for he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. So you see, Pilate knew that Jesus had done nothing deserving of death. He knew what was really in the hearts of this evil crowd. It was about envy, indeed. As in any rioting that goes on in our world, right, it's all about envy. It's all about what's in it for me. What can I get? Getting what I deserve. That's why there's 
rioting and things like that. But Pilate, the governor, was trapped in a political quandary here, which was an easy problem to resolve if, if he would have just made the choice to stand for truth and justice. But politics rarely looks at what is true, what is truth. And this was the case for Pilate here. He had to appeal to the mob. That's what the politics of this time right here was about, appealing to the mob, appeasing them, just like it seems to be about in 2020 where the mob rules, right? And evil prevails, it seems, while he was sitting, I'm reading verse 19 now, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with that just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So everything right now was screaming at Pilate and telling him what was the right thing to do. The story continues on in verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said to them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ or called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. So Pilate thought he could be innocent and wash his hands of the whole matter. But of course, he could not be innocent. Water wasn't the answer to washing away Pilate's sin, nor the, the sin of the whole world. Only the blood of Jesus would answer that. But the mob continues to speak loudly in verse 25, and it says, and all the people answered and said, his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. When they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him on the head. And when they had mocked him, they took the robe off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him away to be crucified. So indeed, the silence of Jesus led him to the place of his purpose. And just a quick side note as I make that statement there. I want to repeat what I just said. The silence of Jesus led him to the place of his purpose. Have you ever just turned off all the noise? The television, the internet, which of course would include all of your social media. Stop the thumping music 
and just take some time before God as, a, as the living soul that he made you to be? Spend some time before him? You might want to think about it. You might find out that silence is indeed golden. And you may find that in it you will find a purpose for your life that you never knew existed simply because you humbled yourself and you turned off the world and you turned off all the news and you were silent and you sought the Lord. And in verse 32 here, we don't know much about this man, but he had an awesome purpose. But it says now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Have you yet bore the cross? Have you let the blood of Jesus drip onto your life as you have taken up the cross? Picture the scene here, right? Jesus is bleeding, carrying his cross, and and it gets put into the hands of this man, Simon, here. The word of God is showing us that we have a responsibility as well in our sin as it pertains to the cross. It's ours to bear as well, and it's ours to share with others the message of the cross. Foolishness to those that are perishing. Right? Verse 33, and when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, They gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink, but when he had tasted it, he would not drink. You see, the mixture, this mixture was given to condemned criminals as a painkiller, but Jesus refused this because just as his silence had a purpose, so did his suffering, so did his pain. And it was all for us. And verse 35 here starts out and says, then they crucified him. Stop right there because that's such a simple statement, it seems, as Matthew writes it here. No fanfare, just the fact. The fact that they crucified him. But do you understand the result of his crucifixion? Do you understand what it means to you Without the crucifixion of Christ, there would be no remission of our sin. We would have to stand before the judgment seat someday, guilty as all get out, right? No help for our souls at all. No salvation, no hope. Oh, they were guilty, right? They, they will pay the price for crucifying the Lord of glory, but God was indeed working all things out for good in what was going on in the life of Jesus. And verse 35 continues and says that they divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, that they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sitting down, they kept watch over him there and they put up over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. So there it was, right, written for all to see. 
The Jews, we are told in the Gospel of John chapter 19, didn't like what it said, but it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin so that all the world would know the truth. He was the king of the Jews, and we now know that he is the king of the world. He's the king of kings, that he's coming again. Again, they they crucified him. But God has worked it all out for our good, for whosoever will come to the Lord, right? Verse 38, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other one on the left. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with the scribes and elders said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. Of course, we know that one of those robbers repented, but the rest of the mob on the ground and the other criminal discontinued to mock him. Today, there is a large mob of people that still live their lives mocking the Lord, wagging their heads at the truth, not caring at all, Living, living the mob rule life, right? Not understanding the benefits of humility, not coming to the knowledge of the cross, repentance, the benefits of silence before the Lord, filling their heads with all the waste that's found on the social media platforms and ignoring that still small voice of God that speaks through the pages of the Bible, even still today. Are you ignoring the word of God still today? Now from the sixth hour, verse 45, until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, Why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom and the earth quaked and the rocks were split and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So do you see that this is the greatest event in all of history. The earth quaking, the dead coming out of the graves, the the king, the Lord of glory has died for all the, the sin of the world. 
And as I teach this today, we're five days from Christmas, and you'd think I'd be giving to you today a message about the birth of Jesus. And of course, that is an oh-so-important message, but the birth of Jesus Christ means nothing to you if you have not come to grips with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross and the power that that has in your life. I am sharing a message with you today that is about the power of God unto salvation. If you yield yourself to that today, then Christmas of 2020 will be your greatest Christmas of all, the greatest Christmas ever. But let's read on here, verse 54. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. What a statement. That's a great proclamation right there. Finally, some truth hits these people. This was Jesus, the Son of God. Now notice what we see here starting in verse 55. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him were there looking on from afar. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now, first of all, that Mary mentioned there as the mother of James and Joseph here, that's Mary, the mother of Jesus the one highly favored among women. But when the people realized the truth back there in verse 54, they didn't say, truly, this was the son of Mary. No, when the truth hit them, they knew that this was the son of God. Yes, again, Mary, highly favored among women, chosen by God the Father to give birth to the flesh of his only begotten son. But the gospel of Matthew here makes a point to emphasize that Mary was indeed the mother of James and Joseph as well, of whom Joseph was their father. But the truth of these verses here is that Jesus was the son of God. That's why the earth quaked. And that's why the dead, some of the dead came out of the graves. This Christmas, we can once again sing of Jesus as it pertained to his flesh that he was indeed the babe, the son of Mary, but his deity had nothing to do with her and everything to do with God. He's the son of God. And we see here, in this chapter here, we see all of this. And then verse 57, now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rocks, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there, and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. On the next day, which followed the day of preparation, the chief priest 
and Pharisees gathered together to Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said after three days, I will rise. Notice that they called Jesus a deceiver. The most perfect, sinless man, the son of God, walked the earth and they called him a deceiver. Oh, how lost this world is. But the tomb was now closed. This wonderful disciple of Jesus named Joseph came and placed Jesus' body in the tomb that Joseph had made with his own hands from the rock, right? It makes me wonder, what work are we doing for the body of Christ today? This is what Joseph was doing for the physical body of Christ, right? You do know, though, that the church today is all the born-again believers in the world. All of those that are truly born-again believers in Jesus Christ, that's the church. Not some religion, not some place you go and gather, but it's all the believers of all the world, the body of Christ. And what work are you doing today to benefit the body of Christ? As we see this disciple of Jesus, this man named Joseph of Arimathea, step up and do something. But here these guys who are the true deceivers want to make sure that they do everything within their power to see to it that Jesus stays in that, in that tomb. But of course, they had no control of that. But they go to Pilate and they say to him here in verse 64, therefore command that the tomb be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people, he has risen from the dead, so the last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate said, said to them, you have a guard, go your way, make it as secure as you know how. You think Pilate wanted, she wanted that going around? He just took part. He thought he washed his hands, right? But he gave him the guard. Verse 66, so they went and made the tomb secure, sealing the stone and setting the guard. So as I said in our last study, it seems that evil has won. The deal is done. The dirty work is over. No more Jesus, no more Christianity in the world, they thought. No more preaching righteousness. No more condemnation of sin. People thought, well, we don't have to hear this anymore. But yet it still goes on today, doesn't it? The gospel continues to be preached, right? And, and again, as we now approach another Christmas time, another year over if the Lord tarries, and a new one soon to begin, what is the condition of your soul today? Are you marching to the beat and all the noise of this world? Speaking more loudly than ever before. So many different social media platforms chatting away. Everybody's got something to say, right? Are you thumping with the base of the world, wagging your head, enjoying the darkness, all the while thinking you are good in your own self-righteousness? 
speaking loudly and proudly and never taking the time to be still, that is to be quiet and to turn your eyes upon your maker and allow for his will to be done in your life. You see, there is wisdom in silence. Silence is golden. You will find peace. You will find true life. When you come to realize that Jesus is the son of God, when you take up the cross and his spirit comes within you because you've died to yourself and you've died to this world, right? Jesus loved you and he gave himself for you. And as this year comes to a close, I exhort you to take some time to study, to be quiet. Turn off the world for a period of time. And first of all, come to the cross of Christ. Be like that man Simon and bear the cross. Disassociate yourself from the mob and become a disciple of Jesus like Joseph of Arimathea who labored to do something good for the body of Christ. Because you see, even though at this point in the story, again, it seems that evil has won, the one who was silent before his accuser seems to be gone forever, so they think. But one thing we know for sure is he rose again from the dead. And we know today that when it seems like evil is winning, we know that Jesus is coming again, and these are indeed the last days. There's no other hope for you, no other hope for any soul other than coming to Jesus, being born again of the Spirit. I'm not inviting you to religion, not inviting you to a church, a building, a denomination, a non-denomination. The scriptures don't invite you to any of that. They invite you to come to Jesus. And, and what he has to say matters. And his word, the Bible, is the final word. Read his word today. Make today the day where you quiet yourself and you become a, a disciple of Jesus, the Son of God, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your living word. I pray, God, that if anyone comes upon this audio, that if anyone comes upon this video, that their hearts will come unto you, that they will be open to come unto you, Jesus, to be born again, to be made new, to be renewed in the spirit of their minds by your spirit. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray, I pray, Lord, come quickly. But we know the reason that you tarry, Lord, is you desire for all men to be saved. You desire for people to come unto salvation. And that's the reason you are tarrying, Lord. So as the gospel continues to go forth, Lord, I pray that your spirit will work in the hearts of men and women because ultimately we know, Lord, in the end, good wins. In the end, the victory is in you, Jesus. So again, we thank you for this time in your word. We ask your blessings upon the coming days. Till we meet again, in Jesus' name, 
Amen. Amen. Well, God bless. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Uh, Websites on the screen here, aloveoutreach.com. If you want to reach out to us, go to our contact form there. Uh, We'd love to hear from you. Love to pray for you. Do anything we can to help you. God bless.